Welcome to Fintech Impact. This podcast is an exploration of the financial technology world, interviewing different fintech entrepreneurs about what they do, their story, and what their impact is on consumers, incumbents, and the industry as a whole. Here's your host, award-winning financial planner, university lecturer, and writer, Jason Pereira. Hello and welcome to Fintech Impact. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. Today on the show, I have Alan Moore. Alan is the co-founder and CEO of AdvicePay and XY Planning Network in the U.S. AdvicePay is an online platform that enables advisors to charge clients bank accounts and credit cards directly for ongoing retainer-based financial planning services. And with that, here's my interview with Alan. Hello, Alan. How's it going, man? Thanks so much for uh, having me on. Thank you for coming on, Alan. So Alan Moore of AdvicePay and XYPN. Tell us about AdvicePay and we'll dive into XYPN later. Yeah, so MicePay is a payment processing platform uh, built specifically for financial advisors. So we look at it as it handles invoicing and payments to get paid for what we call fee-for-service financial planning, which is anything non-commission, non-AUM. So if you take commissions out and you take AUM out, there's this whole span of hourly project-based retainer subscription. There's a lot of different ways to charge fees for financial planning, but it's all about getting paid for the advice that you give instead of getting paid to sell a product or to sell investment management. And so AdvicePay was built for the ground up to help advisors facilitate payments for their services. Excellent. So we're going to come back to that and we're also going to talk about XY so people understand the genesis of AdvicePay. But before we get there, let's, let's talk about your history. So tell me about what you used to do before this and how you came to be uh, doing what you're doing today. Yeah. So I was one of the fortunate few that actually discovered financial planning in college. So I got an undergraduate and yeah. master's degrees in family financial planning. I was just first very of all, first of all, I just got to interject. The fact that you guys can get master's degrees in financial planning <laughs> in the US is, is something I am both envious of and jealous. They just, uh, just, uh, sorry. No, it, 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 it was one of those things I didn't appreciate at the time. You know, I went to school to be a pharmacist, you know, because we all had yeah. these dreams of good job, good pay, learned that chemistry was really hard. And so I I dropped out of pharmacy and, and went hunting for a degree. And I accidentally took the intro to personal finance class. I, I thought it was doing financial planning for myself and, and I would learn how to handle my own money. It was actually the intro to CFP program that I took and uh, was just super fortunate to have a professor that Dr. Joe gets that he had a master's in psychology and a PhD in financial planning. And he had this awesome blend that really showed us the art and the science of financial planning. We generally focus on the science and he really brought the art of communication, of helping clients through uh, challenging problems and, and really showed me what real financial planning could be. And so uh, I, I graduated uh, from my undergrad in 2009 terrible time to look for a job in financial planning. So I stayed for my master's degree, ended up leaving the next year. So the end of 2010 and, and uh, worked for a couple of different financial planning firms, RIAs, uh, one up in South Dakota. I'm originally from the South. So I went chasing snow and then that did ultimately did not end up working out long-term. So I moved over to a financial planning firm in Wisconsin. It was about halfway between Chicago and Milwaukee and worked there for six months before getting fired. <laughs> Okay. Why? I have to ask. <laughs> it was just a bad fit. You know, I didn't do yeah. anything illegal or anything like that. It, it was just a bad fit. The boss hired a mini me and yeah. anyone out there thinking about hiring your first employee or your second or third, uh, never hire a mini me. You don't need no. more than one of you. And so the culture fit wasn't right for what I was looking to do. And so anybody that knows me knows I'm a terrible employee. Like anyone who hires <laughs> me to just a terrible call. That's um, just most financial advisors and planners, you know, yeah. you get used to being independent and especially there's always a couple of years on your own. And yeah, we just become unmanageable by anyone else. Yes, I am, I am hyper unemployable at this point. Um, 
Yeah. So I, I got fired. I had just turned 25 years old. I was living in a place I'd never lived before and I just had to take stock. And so, you know, I, I sort of said, well, I feel like I have two options. Option A is I go out and I get another job as a junior advisor at an RIA making $60,000, whatever I was making. Option B is I, I start my own firm. Okay. So if I start my own firm, there's two things that can happen. Either it's successful or it's not. If it's successful, good for me. If it's not, I'll go take it. Um, as a junior advisor in RA making 60 grand. So it's like all back to where you were before. Yeah, it was almost like a no risk proposition. Now, it, it's not exactly the way it works out. But uh, I was really bothered by the fact that one person had uh, complete and total control over my income. And I didn't like the fact that I had no it was either like he controlled 100% of my income, either I had a job or I didn't. If I didn't have a job, I had no money. And I was like, you know, I'd rather just if a client fires me, I lose 5% of my income because I have 20 clients. And so this was my mindset. I've learned a lot since then, but this was my newly minted entrepreneur mindset. And so I dove in and, and started my own fee-only financial planning firm there in Milwaukee back in 2012. Excellent. So this inevitably led you to eventually connect with uh, the guru of financial planning that he is, Michael Kitsis. And he has basically started something called XYPN. So let's take us take into the genesis of that because that leads into advice. Yes. Yeah, so, you know, when I started my own firm, I had to learn everything and figure it all from the ground up. How do you do compliance? What CRM and, and financial planning software do you select? How does it integrate? How do you market? Yeah. All of these questions that you have to learn as a business owner, like most industries, they teach us the CFP program and, and everything else. They teach us how to do the work. They don't teach us how to run a business. No. And, and you know what? It's a common problem with professionals in general. I mean, you look at most doctors. Yeah. Are not well run. Interesting side note, the gentleman who brought the CFP to Brazil recognized this problem. And part of the curriculum, actually one third of it is managing your own practice. Yeah, so, which is awesome. Absolutely. And, you know, I really wish they would start to do that in, in other countries as well, but let you get back to it. Yeah. So I had to figure all this, this out for myself and, and I was super involved in some of the associations. NAPFA is the big fee only association here in the States. And so I was involved there, had spoken at a couple conferences as part of panels. And a lot of people heard like, here's this kid, he's 25 years old. I didn't have a beard at the time. So I looked much younger starting a fee only firm. And, and that's super rare. It even is today, but it was extremely rare then. And so I just kept getting a lot of questions. If I take a step back, when I was launching my firm, I called a couple people for help and they they picked up the phone and they provided guidance that ultimately changed the trajectory of my career and, and helped me find success. So I committed that when someone called me, I would answer the phone. And in the first 12 months of running my business, I answered the phone 100 times. 100 wow. one-hour phone calls in 12 months. And it was the same questions over and over. What technology? How do you do compliance? How do you get your clients? All of these things. And so Kitsis and I actually, I like to say we, we've been internet dating for about seven years now because we met on Twitter. <laughs> and we started conversing there. I worked as his research associate for a very short time before realizing he was looking for someone way smarter than I was. And so we had had some back and forths. I'd written a blog post for the kitsis.com blog around technology. I was using my practice. And so I emailed him uh, December of 2013 and said, hey, man, like, here's the deal. I'm, I'm having all these conversations with young planners. And these are the questions that I'm getting. I think we could start a platform or a business to help some of these planners. Like, I think we could just package this and, and I want to keep helping them. But at some point, I have to monetize my time. But I think I can get paid and, and they can get lots of value. And he said, yeah, man, I'm seeing the same thing off my blog. I get so many questions about this. 
So that was December and the quick start entrepreneur that I am, uh, we launched in April the next year. So it took about four months for us to get the platform off the ground. And we really started XY Planning over the mission of helping advisors do real financial planning for next gen clients. So I can go into all the details of that if you care, but you know, we really, I believe in real financial planning. I believe in advice centric services and, and being able to sit on the same side of the table as my client, not selling them a product. And so um, how do we be fee only and a fiduciary and work with our clients while also getting paid for the advice that we give and not just working for free until someone's rich. So I really look at XY now as an entrepreneurship platform. We help financial advisors start and run their own business. So yeah, so we got started April 2014. So we're about four and a half years old now. We, our original business plan said, you know, hey, we'll help 20, 30, maybe 50 advisors. Could you imagine a world where one day we'd have 100 advisors using our services? And so four and a half years in now, we have about 820 advisory firms that are leveraging our platform to grow their practice. So it's certainly grown more than expected. More than probably anyone in the industry has ever seen and expected, that's for sure. So congratulations on that, because I'm Thank staggered you. by your numbers. I mean, when we met the first time face-to-face a couple months ago, you were you were almost 100 fewer, so. so. Yeah, yeah, this last quarter has just been insane, but um, yeah. It's great you're gonna run out of Americans, man, honestly. <laughs> We figure there's 285,000 financial advisors. So, you know, yeah. when we start setting goals up, you know, now at eight, call it almost 850 members, we're like, well, what would it be like at 3,000 or 5,000 or 10,000 advisors? What if we could help 10,000 advisors? Um, when can you register as market share? Like, that's that's what it is. When the market share nope. graphs has a little slice that says X, Y, <laughs> that's the goal. Hopefully one day. Yeah. But yeah, there's so many advisors already, and there's so many consumers that need and want access to real financial planning that the pie is infinite. It, it'll grow as much as, as we choose to and as much as as well as we can execute because if people really knew what we get to do on a day-to-day basis for our clients we mm-hmm. would just have an infinite number of financial advisors hey i i you're appreciating the converted because you know i do it myself but i often my line now is quite frankly like short of medical practitioners who else has the, that kind of impact on their clients lives as a financial planner yeah and, and the difference even there is, is you know my definition of financial planning is we help our clients live their great life exactly. we are the only profession that actually asks our clients, what do you want out of life? And then what do you want to accomplish, right? Like, and looking into the future, because any other helping profession is generally looking rearward. And it's the bane of medicine. And I know they're trying to change this, but it's always reactive to symptoms. It's not building a program to be successful long term. And that's what financial planning is all about is we get to say, what do you want out of your great life? And then help them use their money as a tool to support their version of a great life because everyone has a different version of a great life and what they want Absolutely. to accomplish. And so it's a helping profession. It's an honorable profession. And like I said, if more knew what we did, we'd have a whole lot more people trying to get into financial planning, which is exciting. Absolutely. Well, I mean, again, envious about where you are simply because I feel like the American populace has a better idea than, than other countries. So, you know, as that trickles down through your media and whatnot, I'm sure it'll affect everybody else too. So you launch this platform, you start bringing on clients. Part of the value proposition is to offer the entire tech stack kind of as a turnkey solution. Yep. And you run smack dab into this issue around how do you get paid? So tell me about what challenges you were encountering. Because I mean, there are payment solutions online. There's the stripes of the world, the sure. squares of the world. So what was it they weren't doing and what was it you were hearing from regulators? Yes. So again, you know, our advisors are out there. Most of them are charging a monthly fee for financial planning, 100, 200, $500 a month, whatever the number is, mm-hmm. but they're charging a fee for access to a financial planner. AUM fees are easy. You upload that Excel trade file to your custodian. They send you your money. Commissions are easy. You sell a product, company sends you a check. How do you get paid on a monthly basis? So the answer for a lot of folks is, checks, which is 
just an oh, unacceptable answer. Uh, so I'm going to set the check writers to the side just because we, we know we can fix that. Uh, but you say, okay, well, let's use an online payment program like anybody else, Stripe, PayPal, Venmo. There's lots of options. And what we started running into were a few issues. One, come to find out most, pretty much every payment processor we've evaluated does one of two things. They either expressly prohibit the use of their platform by financial services. By financial services. <laughs> What was the reason for that? So QuickBooks is a great example. They had their Intuit merchant account platform. If you read their acceptable use terms, it expressly prohibits the use by financial services. And it is because they lump payday lenders and fee-only financial planners into the same financial services group. Financial services has the highest uh, dispute rating of any industry for payments. And it's because you got people out there trying to sell an annuity on a credit card, right? Like there's going to be people, there's going to be bad actors there. So anyway, so that's one problem. Now there are some that have said, okay, we'll work with you. And then what we run into is the triggering of custody. So in the US, I know it's defined a little different everywhere, but you know, in the US custody is defined as the ability to have control over a client's bank account to be able to move money without their permission. If you look at almost every payment processor out there, once a client has input their banking information or credit card information, you can invoice against that payment information without the client's permission. Now, of course, you would never do it, but regulators don't care what you do. They want to know if you can do it, because if you can do it, then they want to dig into whether or not you're doing it. And so what we started doing was triggering custody in states and and in the U.S., a custody, what custody means for us is that you get audited once a year on a random interval by a third party uh, CPA firm has to come in and basically prove you are not doing something which is a very high burden of proof that you are not doing something. Basically, you multiply that across every RIA you're dealing with, and that becomes a cost burden and an almost untenable thing to manage, basically. Yep. I mean, you're talking $10,000 minimum, even if you're a new firm, just have someone you know, be able to take the time to come in. So it's this huge cost burden, and it's just not worth it. And so what people end up doing is either not offering the service model, it was pushing people into just offering AUM-related services, so there, there are a couple other pieces that, that we've discovered over time, such as most payment processors are not scalable for a growing business. Most payment systems were built for a one-to-one relationship. So PayPal, you own the yeah. business, you bill someone, they pay you. What happens when you have five team members and you need someone else doing the billing? What power does that person have to change the business bank account, to invoice people that they're not supposed to be invoicing? So what we also learned was that billing solutions weren't built for growing businesses. And so back in 2016 now, March of 2016, I begged and pleaded with several payment processors. And I said, I will send you all this business. I just need these workflows that are built specifically for financial advisors. Now, I have since learned, because I was not in tech at all, I have since learned that what I was asking them to do was rebuild their entire front end just for financial advisors. I thought it was just like a tweak. Yeah, um, I laugh because I've had this happen this countless times. It's like, I, I've learned enough to say like, look, I know that I think this is small. <laughs> but <laughs> I know this sounds know, like a setting. I, I know this is, I, I'm asking for a switch, but I also know that you're basically sitting there counting how many weeks of work you have when I talk about a switch. Yep, right? so, exactly. Yeah. And you know, the financial services industry is too small for folks to care about. I mean, we've leveraged a, another program. They raised $135 million a couple years ago. They raised $135 million to go get financial planners on their platform. They did it to go get billion dollar industries. Yeah. And so we ended up in this weird spot where we realized financial plan Planning is a great opportunity to build a payment processor and, and market to that segment, but it's not a big enough opportunity for the big boys to jump in. And so it's really got to be built by advisors for advisors, which is not always the ideal way to build tech because it's built by people that don't know tech like me. But that's exactly how you build a niche business, right? You find an exploited area that is too small for other people to care about, but if you can do it efficiently, 
you can build, you know, better than a lifestyle practice out of it for sure. Yeah, and, and we just know the industry. So the cheat that we had from XY Plan Network is we've registered now almost 400 RIAs. So in the US, you have to be, you're state registered unless you have 100 million in AUM, then you click over to the SEC. So uh, the other thing that we deal with is that we have 51 sets of regulators because every state has one and then you have the SEC and each state in their We'll just say doesn't write down their regulations. None of it's actually written down. It's all in their head. And some regulators oh, in the true. same state have different interpretations of the same rules. And so we started oh. running across situations like, I believe it was say of Nevada said they wanted us to give clients the ability to cancel a subscription payment. So they're concerned about the gym membership model. It's easy to sign up and impossible to cancel. Well, uh, and, gym was that episode of uh, Friends, wasn't it? Where they wanted <laughs> right. to get, next thing you know, they're both signed up for the gym. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. And so what they said was, you know, hey, this isn't a regulation thing. This isn't a, you know, this will trigger custody if it doesn't have it. But we really want to see, yeah. wink, wink, we really want to see that the client has control to cancel subscription payments. And those are the types of things that at Advice Pay we're able to build into the platform because it's the only industry we care about. You go look at a PayPal, they don't care what the state of Nevada securities regulator has to say about a feature. Like, that. it's not on their radar. But again, we, we had this sort of, inside look because we've worked with regulators 400 different times in I think 47 states now. So uh, we really understood and had those relationships to be able to say, hey, what are you looking for? What do you need to be able to see? What types of reports do you want to see run and build all of that into the platform as we were building it? Excellent. So in general, you basically probably gather this very niche specific advice pay tool. So essentially, it will allow you to track the clients that you're billing. It will build their accounts. So it'll allow you to manage that. It gives them all the rights that essentially these that these regulators are basically asking for. I mean, you have some additional benefits to it. I see like white labeling and invoice management, uh, your integrations that are coming soon. So you, clearly the other thing is too, is that because you had XY, you knew you kind of had a captive audience and a market that was ready to go with, with yeah. this to start. You also see that you have enterprise pricing. So how much of your of your sales on advice pays is outside of XY these days? Yeah, it's about half and half right now. And the half that's outside XY is growing because initially you launch and XY members jump on. But the other half is, you know, RIAs out there that were either already doing financial planning and looking to get paid. Other group are that we've actually seen are on the enterprise, uh, we'll call it the corporate RIA of broker dealers. So again, I know every country is a little different, their structure. So in the US, you know, we have FINRA, which regulates the sale of products. We have the SEC, which regulates the giving of advice. Broker dealers are designed by trade to transact products, but what they spin up are these hybrid, we call them hybrids, but these RIAs to provide financial planning so their reps can give financial advice sort of under this corporate RIA structure. And what we're finding is that corporate RIA has some problems uh, with their billing. And so the current process, for the most part, is check writing. And so this is literally the process. I'm a rep, I find a client and I say, okay, you're ready for financial planning, it's gonna be $3,000. Client says, okay. I say, I'll be right back. So I have to mail a signed financial planning agreement, get that signed, and an invoice to home office. Home office gets it. Someone in the financial planning department approves, yep, this is the contract. Yep, they're going to provide a financial plan. They then take that invoice, they mail it to the client. Client gets it three days later. Client fills out a check. They pay the invoice. Invoice gets sent back to home office's uh, revenue team. Revenue team starts processing the check. Now, this whole time, the advisor's wondering, where's my money? Because I make 80% of this. So I'm waiting for my $2,500 of this 3000. So revenue team generates it. They're getting 30 phone calls throughout the month trying to figure out where the money is. Uh, once they're done, then they take that, you know, okay, it's $3,000. They put it into what we call the grid, which is the payout system. And it says 80% of this goes to the advisor. The 15th of the next month, the money goes out. 
I mean, you're talking 30 to 45 days to process a check and reps are just infuriated. I mean, the billing team is spending more time on financial planning fees and it's like 5% of their revenue. So this is where we start. this day and age, right? Like, I mean, yeah. literally, I can order something from Amazon right now and it'll be here before the end of the day. And it's <laughs> right. Yeah, right now. And you're telling me that a check, someone has got money in their hand who's trying to give it to you. It's 30 to 45 days. Like, my God. Like, yeah. And so that that's a problem that we didn't really anticipate solving. I didn't even know it existed in larger firms. I've never worked in a firm that had more than five people. But if you have 750 reps that are out there, they're doing this thing and, and you're trying to open up a next generation billing opportunity, it's impossible. And so what advice pay allows them to do is, and depending on the restriction layers, we've got a lot of flexibility here, but you know, the rep is actually able to set up the invoice and client go in and pay it. If home office needs an approval check, they have an approval layer. And they pay it right there and the money goes to home office. Because that's the other thing is the way we're set up, you may have 750 reps, you've only got one business bank account. And you don't want your rep being able to change the business bank account. No, you don't. And so really what we've done with with our enterprise version is just build out the flexibility so that firms can allow their reps to collect, I should have said this earlier, but collect credit card or ACH payments on a one time or recurring basis, which at its core sounds very simple, but in RIA regulatory world with all of this infrastructure and, and legacy systems and all that ended up being a lot more complicated than even we expected, but fortunately we're able to solve it. Uh, you know, it's just, it's one of these things, again, you know, it's this, it's deceptive stuff. It's, it's the simplest thing, the ability to pay a financial planner through something that is not a product sale and being able to manage that ongoing relationship and the challenges that are set by that. And it's, it's not inconsequential, uh, but it's, it's, it's just astonishing that, you know, these little, these little niches exist, but they do. Yeah. And it's interesting because I've actually, I'm looking at adding a retainer-based model to my practice as well. And I've encountered this even before we first met. I, you know, first thing I did was reach out to probably the most tech-savvy accounting firm I've ever seen and ask them how they manage their, their ongoing retainers. And it was a cobbled together mess of three different systems. And I yep. was just like, and I found you, I'm like, well, you might want to talk to companies like that as well. <laughs> there is a better way. There is, oh my God, yes, there's a better way. And it's on. Honestly, it's something that is, I think we both feel strongly about this. This is the direction of, of financial planning in the future. It's away yeah. from product-based sales. And you're laying the foundation layer of how this is all going to grow. So I commend you for it and you and Mike for so many things that you do, quite honestly. So what was your biggest challenge in basically creating this company? Yeah, I mean, the fact I have zero technical chops. I can barely code something in HTML. So, you know, actually building an app. I have zero, I have zero technical abilities. And so, uh, you know, we set off in, in March of 2016 and said, okay, we're going to build an app. So we went and hired an outsourced firm and I got taken. So I probably spent, I think I was, I was told it was going to be 60,000, a hundred thousand dollars later, they shipped a product that uh, was vaporware. It didn't actually exist. So in September, 2016, we launched advice pay at our national conference. Everyone was so excited and went to go sign up, come to find out there was no actual backend. It was only front end. So, you know, that that's the equivalent of having a painting of a house with no actual house. There was no electrical and plumbing or anything else. So the challenge was that I didn't have the ability to read the code. I couldn't log into the, the code base and see if my sales team is struggling, I can jump in and say, okay, I'll help them out. If marketing struggling, I can help them out. Customer support, help them out. I can't help the developers. And so what I learned was that I really needed a trusted developer on our team that was bought in. And it took a while to find that person. So we're very fortunate now to, we, we finally found uh, Joe Temmer, who's our, our lead developer now, who's a local guy and just a phenomenal developer. And it's helped us build out 
development team, a development culture, development processes, like everything about the actual development of an idea is not my lane. And so I needed someone whose lane it was and running a business and doing marketing sales don't care anything about that. So I'll say that the most difficult part was finding the right developer that was bought into the vision, bought into what we were building. And some people will tell me like, oh, well, yeah, I hired my cousin who's our CTO. And that's awesome. Like, I, I'm so jealous of the people. I, that I, I hope they have the chops for it. I mean, like, I, yeah. it's funny you mentioned that because that is, I get a number of people coming to me with like, you know, I really think this is a great tech idea. And like, how do I get off the ground? I'm like, can you code? No. Well, you need to find a technical co-founder. Otherwise, yeah. you're dead in the water. Like, you know, the cost alone to get even close to a minimum viable product, even if they don't, you know, even if these guys don't end up making you vaporware, it's not inexpensive. And it's not. It's, it's not. And it's, it's, it's a challenge. And when I see people try to do it without a technical co-founder, I'm just like, you don't even know, you can't even trust that you're not getting fleeced because you, you don't know what's what. So yep. it's, it's a, that's a value. Anyone listening to this story, it's a valuable lesson. And I will say that in my two side startups, uh, both have technical co-founders. <laughs> and luckily, one was a close friend for a long time. So it worked out well. So a couple other questions that I wrap up with before we, we get done. So if you had one wish, whether it be advice, pay XY, the industry in general, what is the one wish you have that would make not just your life better, but a bit more meaningful? Hmm, that's a good question. If I had a wish here in the States, it would be that all financial advisors were required to be a fiduciary. It's this really twisted- Everywhere in the world, thank you. Yes, that's, that's I'll, I'll take everywhere in the world. Everywhere else yeah. seems to be ahead of us on this. But if you're going to call yourself an advisor, you have to be giving advice and you can't be giving advice that is in conflict with what's in your client's best interest. So I'll say that's a core value that if that tanked my business because suddenly everyone was a fiduciary and we had no uh, differentiation, fantastic. The world is a better place because yeah. all advisors have to act in their client's best interest. And I think if I could, to piggyback on that, I believe it was- so Bob Veras, I believe it's his quote where he says, like, I can dream of a day where I'm standing at a dinner party and I say, you know, that I'm a financial advisor and the other person smiles. As opposed to cringes? As opposed to cringes and tries oh to God, figure out how to get, to get away from you as quickly as possible. Before um, the insurance sale starts. Yeah, yeah and like, for the record, uh, you know, you can keep saying it, but you don't understand how bad things are north of the border. <laughs> are fair so, enough. <laughs> oh, yeah. We, are, we can talk after, but yeah, we're so far from it. So, yeah, I, I share that because, again, I, I always like it to this when I hear that when I have an argument with someone who doesn't believe that, I'm always astonished when I meet people who don't. My statement is if you pulled people off the street and said, do you think your financial advisor plan or whatever they want to call themselves has a legal requirement that they are supposed to act in your best interest? Yes or no? The average person is going to say yes, overwhelmingly. And frankly, if we're basically not held to that standard, we are benefiting from that misconception. And that, that's mm -hmm. just wrong. That is borderline fraudulent. And that's one of the things that really troubles me about it. So before we wrap it up, the, the big question at the end is what excites you the most about what you're doing, about the company, about any of the companies you're involved with? What is the big thing that gets you up in the morning and gets you going? And I don't mean your kid because that was just how old now? Five, five months? Uh, four, yeah, four months. So she. Four months. 5 a.m. is my wake-up time right now. Yeah, there um, we go. So what, what gets you up with a smile on your face as opposed to a groggy look on your face looking for a bottle? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll say it has certainly evolved. When I first started my business, it was all about the mission. And I'm still mission-centric. I mean, it, a company doesn't grow unless you're you're all about what you're doing. And I, I love the work that we're doing. I feel like at XY Plan Network and Advice Pay, we have this 100x impact on the world that if we help every advisor that we help helps 100 clients. So if we can help one advisor, we help 100 clients. And so when our big vision is one 
day, way, way off in the future, we're going to help 10,000 financial planners bring real financial planning to a million consumers. That's the mission that gets me up in the morning. And that's, I think we can have that impact. I, I think we can have an even bigger impact than that uh, potentially. But ultimately, building a business is fun. Now, you, you build a business to support the mission. But I'll say like coming to work and getting to build a team and build a culture and roll out new meeting structure processes and internal reviews. Sometimes it's painful, but it is so much fun and so rewarding because our mission at XY is to help people live their great life. And we help our, the end client do it via helping the advisor. We help our advisors do it because they're entrepreneurs and they're looking to build their own great life. And we're also helping our team members do it. So across the companies, we have around 50 team members now. And it's a privilege to be able to walk through the hall and know that we've been able to provide a salary and benefits and meaning to 50 people that, you know, it's not just a job. It's, it's something bigger than that. And so it's a huge honor to be able to help the number of people that we've helped. And I'll keep doing it as long as it's fun. And when it's not fun anymore, we'll find something else to do. Well, a couple of comments. First of all, thank you, because you're laying down the foundations of what will one day create the true fiduciary standard for your industry. And, and the, the, the industry infrastructure is going to be necessary to support that. In addition, I want to encourage everyone to check out uh, the XYPM website. I understand what you guys are doing, some fantastic work. I know you get inquiries from around the world, and frankly, you deserve it. And Advice Pay, which I hope you will bring to Canada one day. We can talk about that afterwards. Also, I wanted to encourage everyone to check out your podcast. You have your own as well. Could you care to share us a little bit about that? Yeah, so XYP and radio, we, uh, I think I just recorded episode 181. So if you want to hear me talk for 181 hours, it is available. Um, I think I may have already, but go on. <laughs> and to be fair, I'm actually the interviewer, not the interviewee, uh, most of them. So, but yeah, so we interview financial advisors that are, uh, have started their own business for the most part. There's some vendors, Michael and I going back and forth, uh, but it's a lot of folks that have started their own business, listening to their stories entrepreneurship, it's not all rainbows and unicorns. It is an emotional journey. Uh, it is hard. And so we try to expose that reality of what is it really? What is the good and the bad side of it? So if you go to, I mean, you can search in iTunes or Stitcher, or whatever your, your podcast app, just search for XYPN radio or uh, go to xyplanningnetwork.com and uh, you'll see the, see the radio up on the um, drop down menu and you can go check it out. Yeah, I like to refer to entrepreneurship as the most bipolar thing you could choose to do yourself. It um, truly is. <laughs> it really is. So that's great. And also your partner, Mike, has, of course, the Financial Advisor Success Podcast. And I will tell you that when I come across advisors who are looking to learn more about how they can build a very responsible fiduciary style practice, you two are the first two podcasts I point them to. So again, I thank you for sharing that wisdom with the rest of the world as well. Well, thank you for that. And uh, yeah, Michael's podcast is fantastic. If you want to hear, you know, how firms are growing and scaling and, and really doing big yep. things, that podcast is just fantastic. He gets some people on there that I couldn't get a return email or phone call from. So it's it's really amazing his connections being able to leverage well, those. I'm sure Mike can get most responses from anybody. <laughs> but uh, excellent. Well, thank you very much, Alan. This has been great. I'm sure everyone will enjoy this. And uh, hopefully this leads to more people and leading with more, more business for advice pay and XY. Well, thank you for having me on. This was fun. So that was my interview with Alan Moore. Hope you enjoyed it. As you can hear, I'm a big fan of what he and Michael are doing in the US to change the industry. And I hope a lot of that starts to spread elsewhere around the world. And with that, if you enjoy this podcast, please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. Until next time, I'm Jason Pereira. Take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, or find more episodes at fintechimpact.co.